team here are going to read through Luke chapter 24. So if you want to follow it and you have a Bible, you will find uh, the words there. And we're going to read the whole of Luke 24 together. Um, and just a, a few different moments through the reading, I'm just gonna, they're going to pause and I'm just going to give a couple of little comments to help us understand what's going on in the story. And then we're going to look together and just look at four things that this story will teach us this Easter. So we're going to read together from Luke chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Just there where you see it says the stone was rolled away, that literally means it was hurled away. The little phrase that's been translated rolled away is literally hurled. So the writer's trying to tell us that something happened here that is divine power. No one can hurl a rock this big apart from God. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like them to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. To just pause and think about what Peter will be feeling and experiencing as he's running to this tomb. Back in chapter 23, verse 62, was that time where Peter had denied Jesus three times. Remember Jesus said, when the cock crows three times, you'll already have disowned me. Peter did exactly that, having said, I'll never disown Jesus. And then we read in chapter 23, verse 62, that Peter went away and he whipped, wept uh, bitterly. So he was a man who was desperately sad, desperately frustrated. Um, imagine what he was feeling as he ran to the tomb. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. So just remember, at this point in the story, in the journey, it's one of complete confusion and despair. Just remember that, and we'll come to look at what happened later on. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, she replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. 
And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. He said to They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to her, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So just note at this point of the story, the disciples still don't know who this man is who's walking with them. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. See, they probably thought that this man was just a stranger who'd come and maybe offered some words of comfort to them. So it would be very natural for them to say, well, why don't you come and enjoy some of our hospitality as a way of saying thank you. But they still don't know who he is. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. This is probably the moment in the story where the penny drops for them. Back in chapter 22, verse 19, Jesus had first broken bread in front of his disciples before his death and said, this is my body, which is going to be given for you. This is the next time that they see the bread being broken in front of them. And the penny is beginning to drop. All that Jesus had promised he was going to do, maybe he had just done it. They recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Suddenly they realised that man on the road, he wasn't just a stranger bringing comfort to them. He was actually their saviour. He was risen and he was walking among them. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying... It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised them by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat here? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. See, this is a sign that the resurrection was physical. Jesus was able to eat with them. They were able to touch his hands. It wasn't just a ghost. Here was a real man walking amongst them. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. 
and repentance for the forgiveness of sins we preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Thanks very much, guys. Well, as we um, continue to reflect on, on that story as it was read uh, out before us, we're just going to look at four things together this morning that help us to focus on this Easter story. And the first one is, if you look down at verse 5 and 6, uh, the great event. Uh, I've been away this week, but uh, I've been watching the news, and the thing that's dominated the news this week is uh, Belgium and the terrible terrorist attacks. It's been on the news every single day, getting loads and loads of airtime. I guess in many ways, this has been the great event of this week. Uh, if you cast your mind back to the 19th of March, 2006, Six Nations Grand Slam, first time in 13 years. Uh, if you love rugby, you know what I mean. If you don't love rugby, uh, we did really well. <laughs> cast your mind back a little bit further still, 11th of September, 2001. Most here were alive. The Twin Towers, the great terrorist attack in New York. 30th of July 1966. Some of you are nodding, you remember this, a really big football match where England beat West Germany 4-2 in the World Cup final. Uh, Here's one we all learnt at school, 11th of October 1066. Battle of Hastings, where the French beat the English. Lots of great events that we remember in our history, and you could perhaps remember great events for you, but the great event was AD 33, when the Lord Jesus Christ rose again. Look at verse 6. When the women get to the tomb, the angels speak to them and say, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Now, at first glance, you might be thinking, this is a bit of a stupid question. The women might be thinking, what is this angel on about? What do you mean, why am I looking for the living among the dead? I'm not. I'm by a tomb. I'm looking for the dead among the dead. Tombs are where dead people are. Or maybe if you're those women, you might be thinking that this angel's being a bit cruel, mocking them. (laughs) Why are you looking for the living here? But actually, this person who speaks to the women is reminding them of something they already knew. Back in 2010, there was a very famous debate between uh, Richard Dawkins, who is an evolutionary biologist and avowed atheist, and John Lennox, who's professor of maths at Oxford University and a confessing Christian. They had this really brilliant debate online. You can watch it on YouTube. It's fascinating, seeing the two men debate and argue. Um, The whole debate is done in in a brilliant way. There's real humility, and they listen to each other. But right at the end of it, um, John Lennox is basically questioning Dawkins' book called The God Delusion that was written in 2006. And they have a kind of final piece where they're able to say their final line. And John Lennox's final line was this. Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection. But actually, he was just repeating the words of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote exactly the same thing in the book of 1 Corinthians in the Bible. Chapter 15, verse 3, Paul says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, 
that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then Paul goes on a little bit later on in verse 17 and he says this, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. That means pointless. You are still in your sins. Well, why would it be futile? What was Paul getting about? This man, Jesus, had made a most ridiculous claim a number of times through the gospel. He said that he had power over death. And if he made this really big claim, claiming he was going to die and then rise again, and he didn't, our faith is completely futile because we're believing in a fraud. You know, a lot of young people particularly um, are quite blasé about death. When you're young, you feel you're indestructible and death is a million miles away. I guess as you get older, death becomes more of a reality and you do think about it a bit more. Death is one of these sort of taboo subjects we don't talk about in our society. And most of us will spend a huge amount of our time looking after ourselves to try and prolong this inevitability. We don't like talking about death and if we're honest... We're pretty scared about it. When I um, meet a couple or a family and I'm doing funeral prep with them and helping them prepare for a funeral, the one big thing that I'm always struck by is how much death is the single big leveller. However powerful we are, however much we have, whatever influence we can have in the world, death is one thing none of us have any power over. Our life is a gift. Often you'll see on a gravestone something like rest in peace. Now sometimes people write these words, rest in peace, and they know exactly the rest that they're speaking of. And actually they're spoken in hope. But often they're just platitudes stuck on a gravestone because it's more like wishful thinking. A person who dies, there's no confidence in that family where this person is. And so a platitude of just rest in peace is the best they're able to write. But when it comes to the resurrection, it's not just a great event It's the great event in all of history. One writer has said, it was at the resurrection that the irreversible has been reversed. None of us have any answers to death. And yet at the resurrection, Jesus Christ showed that he had an answer to death. When you read in the Bible about this word hope, Christians have hope. Hope is not kind of wishful thinking, a bit like a small child on Christmas morning hoping that they'll get a new bike. And disappointed if it doesn't come. Hope to the Christian is something that's much more secure. It's a security based on what God has said. Now some people would say, yeah well the resurrection was a miracle and miracles just don't happen therefore I can't believe it. Well maybe have a, a moment to ponder the words of a monk in the second century who said this, I believe it the resurrection because it's impossible. Often if we don't believe the resurrection, the problem isn't actually primarily that we struggle to understand or believe in miracles. The problem actually lies in the fact that we have a very, very small view of Jesus Christ. A man who has life within himself. I read this week of someone who tried to describe uh, the death of Jesus. They said this, killing Jesus is a bit like trying to destroy a dandelion by blowing on it. It was never ever going to work because Jesus has life within himself. That is why death could not hold him. So the great event in history is this man who, can, who claimed to have control over death 
And then he proved it. What about the great tragedy we see in this story, though? Have a look down at verse 17 to 19. Jesus walks amongst these people. They don't know who he is. And he says to them, what are you discussing? And almost with disbelief, the disciples say in verse 18, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem in these days who doesn't know what's happened? It'd be a bit like someone saying, are you the only one who didn't see what happened in 2001 when the Twin Towers were hit by the terrorists who were alive at the time? This was an event everyone knew about. And look what Jesus says with great irony in verse 19. He just says to them, what things? As if he doesn't know. He's the central character of the story. He's the one who was nailed to a cross. All these events in Jerusalem were about him. And so with great humour, he just says to them, what things? I don't know. But actually he's setting them up to declare to them the great truth of who he is. But why is that phrase, what things, a great tragedy? It's a great tragedy because so many people in our world, if they were told about the resurrection, would say exactly the same thing. What things? Resurrection? What possible good could the resurrection of Jesus have for me? I'm not bothered. That is the great tragedy. You know, I said earlier that there was this debate, Richard Dawkins, John Lennox. John Lennox declared in his final line, the resurrection stands or falls. Uh, the Christian faith stands or falls on the resurrection. Well, Richard Dawkins had the last word in this debate. I think it's quite sad. He said this, final line in the whole hour and a half debate. It's a shame that we have to end an intellectual debate on the sorry story of the resurrection. See, what he was inferring is that the whole debate had been intellectual, had been stimulating. But why do we have to end this debate on a kind of myth, the resurrection? But he's making a gross assumption. And if you watch through this, uh, this uh, dialogue between them, John Lennox shows them that there is huge historical evidence that this happened. But it's a great tragedy because the cross, the great symbol of the Christian faith which many around the world will know, recognise. It's a tragedy that most would see the death and the resurrection of Jesus and just say, what things? I'm not bothered. What difference could any of that make to me? And yet the resurrection is the big life-changing event of history, which if we come to understand the implications it has for our life, is totally transforming. The great event, here's a man who claims he has power over death and he proves it. But the great tragedy is that very, very few people know that or believe it. But have a look at the great miracle you see in this story. Verse 30 and 31. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and then verse 45 again then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures he told them this is what is written the messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day i did a bit of reading about the human eye this week the human eye is absolutely incredible 200 million working parts in one eye Apparently, if the eye was a digital camera, it would have 576 megapixels. 
That's better than most of our cameras. 80% of all the memories that we have have come through things that we have seen. And here's one for the men, definitely a fact. Women have eyes in the back of their heads. (laughs) Not yet being clinically proven. No one's ever found these eyes, but it's definitely true. The eyes are amazing, aren't they? We're going to spend a service in a few weeks' time on April the 17th in the morning just focusing on the wonder of creation, seeing God in creation, and particularly seeing God in the human body. We're just going to slow down and look at how incredible the human body is and just marvel at how big God is. Now, we talk about our eyes and how incredible they are when we can see. How much more incredible is it when God gives us spiritual sight Here's the great miracle you see in this story, that the very people who reject Jesus and say of the resurrection, what things? I'm not bothered, can be the very people whom God will open their eyes. A lot of people think that the Christian faith is enabled through kind of intellectualism, a series of thoughts which if I get and understand, I can become a Christian. But that can't work because that would mean the Christian faith is simply for the intellectual elite. What this story teaches us is that the Christian faith is intellectually credible, but you don't come to faith by just figuring it out up here. This passage teaches us that faith is a gift where God opens your eyes. And the amazing thing about the Christian faith is the God of the Bible, who revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ, has done exactly that. He's shown us what God is like. And he's shown us just how much he loves us. Every one of us longs to be loved, don't we? That is probably the strongest human emotion. We long to be loved perfectly. We long to be loved consistently. We long to be loved even when we muck up. We long to be loved even when we don't feel lovable. And the truth of the Christian gospel is that you and I are loved just like that. We have this irresistible desire to be irresistibly desired. And we are, by the God who created us. But the real tragedy is that so many of us will fill our lives with good things that seek to replace the love that only God can give us. And when you come to faith and when God opens your eyes, he doesn't so much remove these loves from your life, because what you love, you'll probably always love. But what he does is he replaces that love with a greater love. A love for him. So the great miracle you see in this story is that God opens the eyes of people who would otherwise reject him. And just the final thing, the great opportunity you see in this passage. I'll read from verse 45. It says, Then he, Jesus, opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The amazing way this story ends is a great declaration to those whom God has opened their eyes, saying, now you have both the privilege and the responsibility to help other people to see this glorious truth for yourself. Not because you're any better. Of course not. One person has written that when a Christian shares the gospel with another Christian, it's a bit like one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. 
It's never coming from a place of pride or I know better. It's just coming from a place of joy where you are sharing the love of God that you've experienced in your own heart with somebody else. Well, I said earlier on the 17th of April, we're going to be thinking about seeing God in creation, in our bodies perhaps, in how intricate and amazing God has created us. The week after, we're going to look at seeing God through changed lives, the power of testimony, and how we can see how God has been at work in so many of us through the incredible work he's done in our hearts. But as we go out to try and share the love of God with those who don't yet know it for themselves, you and I can't change hearts. That's God's work. But we can appeal to hearts with humility, with grace, with love, helping people to understand the love that you yourself have experienced. So as we go from here, and I think the sun's coming out now, it's a great reminder of God's love for us. As we go from here to celebrate Easter, let's remember these four really simple truths that Luke 24 teaches us. The resurrection is the great event where the man who said he had power over death proved it. It's the great tragedy that so many people in the world ignore these truths and therefore can't experience his love for themselves. But the great miracle is that God opens blind eyes, which leads you to the great opportunity that if your eyes have been opened, if the love of God has touched your heart, you have an amazing privilege of then sharing it with other people. What well, can I wish you all every peace and joy this Christmas time? This Christmas time? That's a bit early. Do you know, at Christmas, I wish you joy and peace. But how about Easter? I wish you every joy and peace this Easter time. And my prayer for us as a church, and my prayer for you if you're visiting, is that you wouldn't just know of God's love up here, but you would experience it in your heart this year. It's been great to be with you this morning. Amen.